Hello and welcome to My PGCE, a podcast documenting my journey as a trainee teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James B. Good morning. It's been a very long time since we last spoke, five weeks in fact. Since then, I had a week at school, two weeks of Easter holiday, most of which I devoted to writing my essay for university, and then two more weeks back at school. The first couple of things I want to discuss today, a couple of things that came to light in that final week before Easter, and which relate to the previous episode of the podcast. So, if you remember, a few weeks before Easter, I had a formal observation. So, my professional practice tutor from the university came into my placement school and observed me teach my year sevens. And on that day, there was a disgusting smell in the room, which was a considerable distraction for the kids and for me. My mentor, bless him, did his best to help. He said he was going to go get some air freshener, but came back with a little bottle of perfume. I don't know where he got it from. Sprayed that around, but it just congealed with with the sick smell and created this new sicky sweet smell which was arguably even worse than before and the source of this smell despite my best efforts was never discovered that is until the following week when one of my year seven students told me that it had been a fart spray so there you have it a student was creating this smell That didn't really surprise me too much. I certainly wouldn't put it past some of my Year 7 students to do that. Although the smell in the classroom was definitely a sicky smell, not a farty smell. But anyway, I didn't find out who it was. All I found out was that it was a fart spray. But at least I had some measure of resolution there. Something else I discussed in the last episode was the value of trainee teachers. What is the value of a trainee teacher? Why have one in your classroom? Now, I was a bit pessimistic. I said something along the lines of trainee teachers are a burden to be put up with until they become good teachers and can continue the profession after the current good teachers have retired. But I continued the discussion with a teacher at school, and he explained that trainee teachers have far greater value than that, far greater immediate value than that. He explained that trainee teachers free up capacity. So if you've got a trainee teacher who takes on three or four of the lessons of another teacher, that other teacher now has more time to do other things. I mean, sure, they'll still be in the lesson observing you, but they won't have to plan as many lessons for the week. They can devote more of that time to doing other things. So it frees up capacity. 
It also makes important contributions to the culture of the school. Trainee teachers are often very optimistic and enthusiastic and idealistic about the profession. More so anyway than a veteran teacher, generally speaking. So having lots of trainee teachers in your school can create a more enthusiastic, dynamic, forward-looking culture, which is a good thing. Something else that occurred to me too is that trainee teachers are often studying education at university whilst training to be a teacher in schools. They're doing a PGCE, for example, like me. So they may be more familiar with the latest research than teachers who've been out of training for several years, if not decades. That's something else they can bring to the table. So despite my initial rather pessimistic outlook, trainees in fact have enormous value. They have a great deal to offer. So if you're a trainee and you're listening to this, never feel like you're a burden. You bring a lot to the table. One of the main things I struggle with, and I'll talk more about this in the mental health section towards the end, is planning lessons. And it's not planning lessons per se, but it's the amount of time I seem to lose trying to plan lessons. But last week, there was a miscommunication between me and one of my mentors. I teach year nine twice on a Thursday, in the morning and in the afternoon. And I thought my mentor had told me to teach them one topic, but over two lessons. So devote two lessons to a single topic. And in the first lesson, about 45 minutes in, we pretty much covered everything. So I went over to my mentor and said, I thought this was meant to last two lessons, this topic. And he looked at me in a rather concerned way and said, no, this was a one-topic lesson. You were meant to plan something else for this afternoon. And my first thought was, shit. (laughs) I thought that because I know how long it often takes me to plan lessons at the weekend. It can take me a long time, too long, in fact, and it's something I'm working on. And I thought, I haven't got that much time between now and this afternoon. I have lunchtime, yes, but lunchtime is only half an hour or so, and there are normally other things to be doing during lunchtime. However am I going to have time to plan this lesson? But when it came to it, not only did I manage to plan this lesson in lunchtime, I think I did it in about 10 minutes, which is a personal record. Now, they say that necessity is the mother of invention. Well, here it seemed to be that necessity was the mother of efficiency. I had to get the lesson planned. I had very little time to do it. And I managed to do it. 
even quicker than I thought I would. This was a real eye-opener. It made me realise that when I plan lessons at the weekend, when I have all day to do it, more often than not, I spend all day doing it. If I give myself a day, I spend a day. Here, I had less than half an hour, and I ended up planning a lesson in less than 10 minutes. I'd been worried about planning my lessons during the week because I thought that I just wouldn't have enough time to do so. I now think that if I do plan them in the week and give myself less time to do so, then I'd just get them planned in less time. With less time, I think I would just focus on the bare essentials of the lesson as opposed to losing hours just making sure the images on my PowerPoint are centralised. That said, in the last week or so, I've still done a fair amount of planning at the weekend, but less. At the weekend, I'm trying to just plan the broad strokes of my lessons and then plan the details in the week. And hopefully soon enough, I'll be able to do all of my planning in the week. All thanks to the confidence gained from having to plan a lesson at lunchtime due to a miscommunication. Now, I want to get into the mental health discussion. So, the week before Easter, on the Sunday, so it was the day after I recorded the last episode, I had what can only be described as a bit of a breakdown. I set out to plan my lessons on Sunday, as usual, for the following week, in which I was starting three new units. So a new unit with my year sevens, my year nines and my year tens. And planning for the start of a new unit, I often find takes considerably more time because it's new terrain. So I had more to do than usual. And I also had less capacity than usual, by which I mean I was very tired. It was getting towards the end of a very busy half term, and I felt like I had been accumulating fatigue. In particular, decision fatigue. I was finding it almost impossible to make even the most trivial decisions about whether to do it this way or that way. Worse still, I was struggling even to make the decision to take a break. So I was really struggling to make any progress with my planning. I felt completely overwhelmed. And I couldn't even, I didn't even have the wherewithal to think, take a break. I just stared at the screen for hours and hours and hours. It was a horrible experience. I started catastrophizing because I knew that this wasn't a deadline I could push back. These lessons needed to get planned. They needed to get done. And it didn't help that it was a really nice day. I'd have much preferred to have been outside doing something, anything else. And yet I was stuck inside, making no progress, planning my lessons, and started to think thoughts like, 
why am I even bothering? I'm putting all this effort in. The kids won't even be interested in it. They don't like the subject. They probably don't like me. They'd rather be elsewhere. Why am I bothering? So, as you can see, I had a bit of a crisis. But I've had a while to digest it now. And I think the main problem was that I was trying to do too much all at once. My strategy of planning my lessons at the weekend on a Sunday morning worked when I had only a few lessons to plan. But when trying to plan nine new lessons, all on new topics, it just proved too much. Oh, and here's the other intrusive thought I was having. I was thinking, if I can't do it for nine lessons, how on earth am I going to be able to do it for 18 or 21 or however many it is that teachers teach in a week? But I must remember that trying to plan nine lessons on that Sunday at that time proved too much for me. But that doesn't mean that it would prove too much for me right now. It also doesn't mean that planning 18 lessons next year will prove too much for me. It was just a bad Sunday. That's all it was. I was tired. But the Easter holidays were fast approaching. And that's what the holidays are for. They're there to recharge. But it was after that Sunday when I started to think that I need to plan my lessons in bursts rather than trying to do it all at once. And now that I know I can plan a lesson if I have to in less than 10 minutes, that's incredibly empowering, gives me much more confidence. So yeah, I had a bad day of planning, but that doesn't mean I'm a bad planner, let alone a bad teacher. But I've had one other wobbly since then. That's what I like to call them, wobblies. Better than calling it a panic attack. I mean, what I'm about to describe was exactly that. It was a panic attack. But I think calling it a panic attack almost gives it too much power. So it was last Tuesday, my first Tuesday back after the Easter holidays. I was teaching year nine. And my chest started to feel tight and I was struggling to catch my breath and I was sweating and I felt pretty awful. I was having a panic attack. Textbook panic attack. That's exactly what it was. And it was good that I could identify it as such because it meant I didn't start panicking about the tightness in my chest, for instance. I didn't think it was a heart attack or anything like that. I mean, that thought did cross my mind initially, but I knew that such thoughts are associated with panic attacks. So I could say to myself, okay, this isn't a pleasant experience, but it's not threatening your life. So don't throw fuel on the fire by worrying even more. Why did this happen? Well, I think it was lots of different things came together all at once. So any one of these things I could probably deal with and it wouldn't bother me. But I kind of got ganged up on a little bit. Most of which 
was entirely my fault. Well, actually, I'd say all of it was entirely my fault. Saying I got ganged up on kind of makes it sound like I was the victim, but no, I created this situation. So it was the first day back after Easter. I think my stress resilience had decreased over Easter. The night before, I had been to the gym and had quite a heavy session at the gym. And it was the first time I'd been to the gym in about five or six weeks. I hadn't slept very well the night before because I'd fallen out of my sleep routine over Easter. So I was tired. That Tuesday as well, I was really dehydrated. I hadn't drunk anything all day. It was about 1.30 when this was happening. And I hadn't drank anything since breakfast time. Such a stupid thing to do. In fact, I put that on my targets for the following week, stay hydrated, because I think that may have been the main factor, or at least the factor that tipped me over the edge. And also, my explanation in this particular lesson was tanking. I'd come up with some resources for my lesson that weren't quite right. I'd wanted to do certain things with them that I found out mid-lesson I couldn't. I could see the kids were switching off. Low-level disruption was starting to break out in pockets. And my chest started to constrict and my heart rate started to rise and I started to sweat and um, indeed suffered a panic attack. But I knew what it was. I informed the teacher. I carried on with the lesson because I knew that the best thing I could do at that point was to just try to distract myself from the way I was feeling. And I went straight into my year seven lesson after that. Again, informed the teacher. But 20 minutes or so into that lesson, I felt fine. The feeling had passed. And I haven't felt like it again since. Now, what's the moral of the story besides staying hydrated? Had I not known that I was experiencing a panic attack, I'd have probably had to stop. I may have thought I was having a heart attack. An ambulance may have even been called. That's not beyond the realms of possibility. Many ambulances get called every day for people who are suffering anxiety attacks. When I first started suffering with anxiety, I went to the drop-in centre several times because I didn't know what was happening to me. I thought I was dying. But thankfully now I knew what it was. I could see it for what it was. I knew that it posed no real threat to my life. And I kept calm and carried on. And within half an hour, I felt much better. So I guess the moral here is that being educated on the physiological symptoms of mental health problems, knowing what to look for and knowing how to identify symptoms when they arise can help you overcome them. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about. I want to end on a high note. I'm currently reading Tess of the D'Urbervilles by Thomas Hardy. I read every night for 10, 20 minutes or so before I go to bed. I find that it helps me switch off. Interestingly, I've heard that reading novels before bedtime can help you sleep because when you read a novel you create visual imagery in your imagination of what's going on in the novel. If you're reading Harry Potter, 
you create visual images of Harry, Ron and Hermione and whatever they're up to. And creating such images puts your mind in a state that's not too dissimilar to the state it's in when you're sleeping, in particular when you're dreaming. So when you dream, your mind also conjures up visual imagery, as you know, which isn't too dissimilar to what your mind does when you're reading a novel. So yes, reading before you go to bed can help put you in the right frame of mind, ready to sleep. Anyway, that's a tangent. So I'm reading Tess of the D'Urbervilles, and there's a line, the first line, of chapter 15. It reads, By experience, says Roger Asham, we find out a short way by a long wandering. I'll repeat that. By experience, we find out a short way by a long wandering. And I looked up this Roger Asham fellow, and it turns out he was tutor to Queen Elizabeth. He lived from 1515 to 1568. He was tutor to Queen Elizabeth and a writer on education. And I thought this line here summarised perfectly my journey so far as a trainee teacher. As a trainee, I am wandering far and wide, wandering all over the place at times aimlessly. And what I mean by that is that, especially when I first started, I didn't know where to direct my attention. I was having to try to pay attention to everything at once. But slowly but surely, I'm starting to spot shortcuts. I'm starting to focus my attention on the things that really matter. And all the other stuff, I'm slowly automating. And this is sometimes why, I think, when you first start as a trainee and you see a veteran expert teacher, the journey from where you are to where they are just seems incomprehensible. How on earth do I get to that level? And it's because they've automated so much. So many of the things you're currently doing and having to pay a great deal of attention to. To the experienced teacher, it's second nature. Fully automated, requires no attention whatsoever. They've already done their long wandering and they've found the short way. They've found the shortcut. They know what's important and what isn't. So yes... Being a trainee teacher involves lots of wandering, but it's only by wandering that we find the right path and we find those shortcuts. I hope that your wandering is going well, and I'll talk to you again in a few weeks' time. If you like the episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at MyPGCEPod or email mypgcepod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash mypgcepod and helping fund both the podcast and my PGCE course. Thank you and talk again soon.